Hello and welcome back to episode number 81 of the Talk Norwich City podcast. We're still oh. going. So are we all in shot? Um, yeah, we've got multiple cameras so I can cut to wherever I want to. We've Amazing. got a close-up on Jake's lovely moisturised face. <laughs> and, only uh, knackered face. Exhausted us again, mate. It's a pleasure. It's, it's nice really to see nice you both. Boom. Look at um, those guns. <gasps> Please. <laughs> stop it, you. <laughs> you about to say, where have you got them from? Where have you got them from? Beer spirulina, Jake. I'm now sort of like breathing in. I'm just... You, you're looking, you're looking healthy, Jay. Yeah, healthy. I agree. I'm a forty-year-old man. Don't forget, you're probably about seventy. You look like you've been hanging around with Rhea Ferdinand more, which is good. I'm trying. Yeah, Rhea's ripped, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight because, and it takes me a long time because I'm naturally a chubby bloke, like my dad. I just look like my dad basically. But two years <laughs> That's ago, muscle. Uh, I'm <laughs> flabby muscle. But two years ago, I was doing the FA Cup final with Rio. Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, who are all in good shape. Mm. And I put a suit on, I hadn't worn for six months, and I couldn't do up the trousers. <laughs> and I hosted the FA Cup final with a safety pin, keeping my trousers together, yeah? Yeah. Which had bent by the time we came off air, and we had to do some pr- a pre-record in the Royal Box. You're not that bad. You no, that I was, bad, though. Two years ago, I was, eight, I was 16 stone nearly. Were you? Yeah. And I, to get to the Royal Box, I had to crab walk sideways up the steps. You can imagine, you can imagine the... Mickey taking that was going on. Did you not try the suit on before you left? No. I thought you were quite, quite organised though. Kids, mate. Right. <laughs> so it's the kids' fault. It's the excuse for everything in my kids. life. Kids. Um, Norwich City. Yeah. yeah. They're doing okay, aren't they? Not we, bad. We, we last spoke on the 15th of January 2018 and I was going through the comments and most of them were positive. I think we were about 12th in the table at that point. Mm. Half of them were positive, half of them were calling you a, a deluded optimist. Right. Um, it's kind of turned out in the way you said. I mean, you don't want to be too smug about it, but no. you were saying... No, because there's no... Look, I, you don't really know, do you? It could easily no. have gone the other way. But what made you think that it was going to go this way? In, in, in the sense that the look, football would start yeah. coming out and academy graduates would start coming through. What I loved and what I still love is that we had and have a plan. Mm. And I think that having a plan is 50% better than not having a plan and still doing your best. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I still thought that we were further down the road than being a hard-working club that we'd always been for years, trying to get promoted and whatever. Mm. Even if the football at that time and the results weren't bearing out my belief, I still felt that by having a plan, mm. we were further down the road than we'd ever been before in recent years of my time as a Norwich City fan. And that's what I loved. I just loved the fact that they had an idea and they were sticking to it and they, they carried on sticking to it. Did you have a, a sense of sympathy with, obviously you're not there week in, week out. You're there when you can get there. Yeah. But the football was turgid at times last season. Hmm. Did you have a... I think all Norwich fans went into last season thinking, OK, this, this is going to be a season of transition as it mm-hmm. was labelled. Did you understand some fans starting to get frustrated with it? Yep. And I have to admit that I changed my opinion as well after we spoke. Right. I... We were that, much, we were that pessimistic about things. <laughs> Not straight after we spoke. Yeah. But I texted an unnamed person at the club at three or four games into this current season saying, yeah. this is done. This right. isn't going to work. I, don't, wow. I, I finally thought this isn't going to happen because we came back, didn't we, from the summer break and it had to, it had to be successful. Yeah. And then we had that really awful first few games of the season. And I, and I cracked, I bottled it. What made you crack? But I, I just couldn't, I couldn't see improvement. Yeah. Mm. You know, last season, we all know what the situation was at Norwich. We were keeping the ball, we were knocking the ball about, and we were losing games. Mm. Um, 
we weren't moving the ball quick enough. There wasn't enough movement off the ball. We weren't dynamic enough. And basically, if we were trying to play what is now the Daniel Farker way with, the, with players that couldn't play that way. We just, it just didn't work. And we were too lightweight in midfield. And that was it. We were losing games. And I suppose in hindsight, um, Daniel could have changed his plan a bit earlier. Mm. But with all credit, he tinkered with it and then made sure that the players have come in and they can now play the way that he always envisaged. And it's incredibly smart of him and of Stuart uh, to have that plan and to make it happen. But it's also, you know, you can't praise the football club enough in terms of the board of directors and the owners for believing in Daniel and believing in Stuart and just sticking with it because mm. it would have been so easy. We see it all the time. Mm. It would have been so easy for them just to pull the trigger, manager gone. Mm. You know, it would have got the fans off their back a bit and, and now where would we be? Starting all over again. Four games into this season was the point that Jake cracked. Yeah. Had you cracked earlier? Or, or was there always a belief that you thought this would work? Well, me and you both said at the back end of last season, Jack, that we were like, where is this going? Um, but for me, I, I said, you know, after a few games, let's see how it is. And that few games was the testing period. And then all of a sudden, bam, mm. it just clicked. Yeah. I think Jake's very right in, in the respect of having a plan. But I actually think it's having a vision as well. It's visualising where we could be at the end of the season if we have those key players in the mix all coming together at the right time. Timu Puki, by the way, free. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Tribal, free. Tim Krull, free. You know, I think that there's, I think everything's come together, everything's clicked. And so for me, I, I've not been too negative this season at all. Last season, hold my hands up, I was negative as sin. Mm. Um, it, we, weren't, we weren't penetrating enough. We, we, we were holding possession well, but we weren't doing anything with it. Mm. We weren't. Um, but this season, it's been the opposite. And, and you look at, there's two players for me that have been a revelation this season, which is Marco Steeperman. Oh, boom. Wow. And Mario Vrancic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary Vrancic famously, Jack Reeves said he's a League One player. Didn't say that, but... Oh, come on, mate. Jack. But, exactly. No, 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 but that's fine, because yeah. I slag off players all the time, as you do. Um, but, you know, we said Marco Steepman. What the hell's Marco Steepman? And, yeah. and now look how amazing he's been. So, I think just everything has come together at the right time. And, by the way, the fans this season have been a key, key part of the success. It's not just the players. Talking Correct. about a Marco Steepman... You probably see it a lot watching football week in, week out. But what goes on from when a player can't find his position, looks like he's being written off at a club, to suddenly becoming yep. an influential part? What turns, what clicks for that to happen? It is, again, it comes down to the management knowing where that player can excel and having a vision and having a plan for that, for that player. Um, having patience with that player. Um, you know, Norwich over the last couple of seasons on numerous occasions could have either got rid of players because it wasn't working and on a couple of occasions they have done yeah. or could have changed the management structure because it wasn't working but by having a plan they kind of knew where they were going so it wasn't about hiring and firing it was about trying to make this work and mm-hmm. give ourselves time and I think when you, when you talk about that, the, the importance of the fans you are absolutely right that that has been a sea change this season but again that hasn't just happened by accident because we're playing good football that's all part of the, the vision and part of the plan I remember under previous tenures, they were just, you know, let's just tell the fans as little as possible, right? And we'll just deal with it. And they're only the fans and they'll turn up and they'll pay and they'll watch And that's common at most clubs, isn't and it? And it's a nonsense. Yeah. It's an absolute nonsense because people watch podcasts like this, people hoover up information and statistics, people mm. pay their good money to go and watch football matches. 
and they know and they're educated and we are we are a really well cultured smart football viewing public in this country you can't treat fans like idiots and think they'll carry on turning up week in week out and just let us get on with it the decision to say right do you know what let's just tell the fans that this could take a couple of years Mm -hmm. let's just tell the fans that we haven't got much money let's just tell the fans that we need to sell our best players to raise funds sure but by knowing what the plan was, mm. we all bought into it. And I think that's another reason why the manager stayed for the, for, for the amount of time that's allowed him to then have this impact. Because I think that if they hadn't done that, and I remember last season, you know, when we were in the teens, you know, th- 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th in the league, you'd go to games and it felt okay. Way less toxic than in the end of yeah. the Alex Neal era yeah. when we were 7th or 8th and it was just horrible, you know? So do you think that... How, whatever the situation at a club, however good or however bad, as long as you're honest and you're open, yeah, fans, fans will deserve it. it, man. This isn't like we're just customers and they're a business. You know, this is a relationship. Yeah, this sort of consumer customer relationship. It's like no other business in the world. You can't just expect that they're the customer and they'll carry on paying their money. Well, mm. they're a tool as well. Yeah, because if it works and then and they're on your side, so to speak. But also, they're the clubs. Absolutely, they are the club. Yeah. You know, the club is not. Delia Smith, it's not the board, it's not Stuart, it's not Daniel, because they will, in 10 years' time, all, likely, all be gone. Who will be left? The fans. And that's why they have to know what's going on and let them be part of your plan. And that's why the atmosphere in the games have improved. That's why the fans were keen to put five million quid into the training training facility. And by the way, I think that was a key moment as well, for the club as well. You know, for the club to think, our fans actually are absolutely incredible. Um, Do you think it's expectation management as well, Jake? In terms of, if you look at West Brom, for example, they think quite clearly that they deserve instant Premier League. Do you think that the way that Stuart in particular and the whole board has managed the the clubs, the the fans' expectations this season, do you think that's played potentially a key part in, in the positive vibes around the place? Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think I got, you know, when Darren Moore lost his job at the weekend, then I was one of many people tweeting that's a nonsense. And I know, and I, you know, again, I don't go to every West Brom game, of course not. And there are lots of West Brom fans saying, you don't realise actually that the football was bad and the impact wasn't good yeah. enough during games and he wasn't learning from his mistakes and things. But I, I still think the underlying reason why he has lost his job, and, and it came out when the club released the sort of press release saying we wanted a sustained push in the top two. Expectation. They literally expected that they were going to go straight up automatically. And I got, a, I got a tweet that I replied to, actually, from a fan saying something like, um, with this squad, you know, we, we should be in the top two. And it's like, no, you've got no idea then yeah. how hard the championship is to be successful. And, you know, take a look at where Swansea are, for example. You know, it's, I know Darren Moore's been well-backed and, they, and they've gone and spent some money. And I think that they will, um, I think they may well go up through the playoffs. Um, Expectation, expectation did for him, and he's a guy learning the trade. He's got almost fifty percent win percentage. He almost kept them in the Premier League in the end, and then he's gone and and done okay. You know, he is still learning, Mm. massively learning. Imagine any of us doing a job we've never done before, and we do it really well. And after six months, it's not considered. It smells of Daniel Farker, doesn't it? Quite clearly, because Daniel Farker arguably wasn't learning from his mistakes last season, not bringing subs on early, for example, not having a plan B. Um, perhaps not being proactive enough in terms of our, our, our attacking presence. But this season, it's all ticked off the list. Mm. Yep. So I think the West Brom case is kind of shooting too soon. I mean, it's a shame, isn't it, though? Massive shame. It's a real shame for Darren. Yeah. You know, he's a club legend. It's, it's, 
Yeah. I mean, he's won three, I think he'd won three Manager of the Month awards in nine mm. months of managing the mm. football club. In terms of, we spoke there about the managing of expectations. Yeah. You've spoken to Stuart a lot. You get the world of business and, and such. How has he communicated that message so well to fans? Because not many clubs get that right. And it feels like Norwich have got that so right. Yeah. Because, he's, because I, I honestly believe that he has been candid and open and honest and probably told us more than other people at the club would have wanted. I bet you in the early days, there were some people at the club going, what? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Why has he said that? Why, you know, why is he, why is he, tell, why yeah. is he telling them everything? But that's how it has to be. Um, but you have to back that up, don't you? You can't just keep being really yeah, honest. And you, yeah, but, yeah, but again, it's honesty with someone who absolutely firmly believes in what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and you only have to go down, I was lucky enough to go down to the training ground, I don't know whether you guys have been recently to Colney. I saw Tim's Instagram of you. It's like a different place. <laughs> it's like a different yeah. place. The pitches look fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, Holtie was saying. The facilities are being developed and improved all the time. Even, you know, down to making sure that they, they've got a little grandstand now. So mm. that if you go and watch a reserve game, there's an actual grandstand for you to sit in. You know, I think that for a long time, Norwich were claiming that they were... They were an elite football club with an elite facility and elite surroundings trying to attract elite players. And I think if you actually went to Colney particularly, you would have thought, well, where, where is the elite here? Mm. You know, what's going on? And suddenly it feels really sharp mm. and smart and crisp and like every single person there has bought into this plan and this vision for Norwich, right down to things like Alex Tetty having Nigel Worthington come to praise him for his 200th game that, and giving him back his shirt. Every player who made their debut this season getting handed their shirt by a Norwich legend that mm. played in that sort of position. You know, making you feel... Do little things like that count? Absolutely. Make those players feel like if you play for Norwich City... Part of the history. You are part of something really special. And yep. making your debut is a bloody big deal. And yep. playing 50 games is a big deal. And playing your 200th match for Norwich is a huge moment. You know, those things really matter to players. And you need to make them feel special. And I think they've got that right. Chris, I guess this is part of... The reason Max has come through, the reasons Todd has come through, Jamal, it's buying into and they can see a route through, which maybe in previous regimes that hasn't been the case. I think now, Jack, in all honesty, I think that the environment is set. And again, we talk about the expectation of the fans. I think that the environment and the expectation is positive enough to nurture a young player through. Mm. I think back to, you know, not too far, of course, but Josh and Jacob. I think behind the scenes, it was all very good, all very well nurtured. And then you throw them in at Carrow Road in the deep end. And, our, and in my humble opinion, you know, if they'd make a mistake, the crowd would be on their back. Not, not everyone, but some people. And that's enough for a young player. You go, oof, come on guys, you mm. should be supporting me. Whereas now, you know, of course, Max Ahrens hasn't made a mistake all season. Mm. Um, you know, but even the players that, you, that do, you know, you like you, Todd. I think Jamal has made a just a couple this season. But the Norwich fans are like, oh, it's okay. He's young. He's learning. And actually, well, Timu Puki will go and deliver anyway. Mm. So there's nothing to worry yeah. about. And isn't that nice? That I think it's as Jake's already emphasised. Colney is right. But I think now the environment and the general vibe is is perfect to bring young players through. And the great thing about that is the the opposition. They don't expect it. Um, and I think that it gives them, out of 10, they're probably on 11 in terms of confidence right now. It's just them against the world and they're constantly proving a point. And 
I think for me that that is, uh, I mean, the whole of the of the management team have got that bang on the money in Norwich City. We speak about the fans, Jake. You've you've been down to Carrow a lot this season. You've seen the work that Along Cup Norwich and Barclay yeah. and Norwich have done with the flags. You donated a sizable sum of money. How important and how impressive do you think that movement has been this Fantastic. season? Fantastic. I cannot praise those guys enough. What they're doing has changed absolutely changed the match day experience at Carrow Road. And I know that, you know, football comes in for a lot of criticism, mainly because of the money in the game. People say, oh, it's not like it was, you know, it's, there's no fervent atmospheres anymore. You know, people just turn up late and they want to be entertained and they go home again. And, and I saw a, a great interview with, um, with one of the people involved in the, the campaign to get the flags. And, and he was basically saying there was no sort of drama, there's no theatre mm. about coming to Norwich anymore. And we had to change that. Now, I think that you can't blame the clubs. Personally, I don't think you can blame the clubs for that, right? Clubs don't create atmospheres. Fans do. I appreciate that a club can, um, like with West Ham's move to a new stadium, it can yeah. make you feel like you're in a very sort of corporate environment and you perhaps don't want to be like you were when you were at Upton Park. But it's still entirely up to the fans to break through um, all of the stupid you know, red tape about trying to get flags into places and all the health and safety nonsense that goes with it. And, you know, the fans have got to be a real force for good in a mm. football club. And you can't just turn up, and we see it, you know, when we cover football matches all the time, you can't just turn up 10 minutes before, sit there, be entertained, think it's up to those players to get you off your seat and then leave again. Because you go and watch football in almost every other country in Europe and you yeah. are already off your seat an hour before the match begins. Yeah. And you're the one getting the best out of the players. The fans create the atmosphere. Well, and finally, we've realised that in Norwich. We'll be like, well, it's not up to the club to make us yeah. loud and crazy and fantastic. It's up to us to do it. And it will spread around the whole ground. I want to see flags in every stand in a couple of I seasons. I mean, you speak to former players and current players week in, week out. Me and Chris and other fans like to think we do make an impact. Do we? Yeah, of course we you do. Yeah, of course. I mean, as I've already said, the fans are what the football club is. Yeah. And they will be there, you know, long after long after everyone at the club at the moment has gone. And I think it's a really good example that you talk about with the Murphy twins because the, the fans did get on their back. And it was almost harder to be a homegrown player at Norwich yeah. because the expectation was high. Now, it was a necessity that these young players had to come through mm. because we had no money, right? But it's like the perfect storm that we needed these young players to come through. It just so happens that we've tapped into two or three players that I think will be England internationals. You know, so obviously Jamal is already an international. But we have got proper, genuine, top, top quality footballers mm -hmm. that have come through our academy. Now, that just happens to have happened at this moment. And at the same time, we also have a management structure in place that is able to get the best out of those players. And how fantastic that Daniel has the balls to just go and throw those players into games when a lot of managers perhaps wouldn't do that. Mm. Um, and then the fans at the same time are so positive about what's happening to our football club that we are doing everything we can to support those players. And I've seen mistakes on those young players and I've never seen them highlighted. There was a game, I don't remember it, I wasn't there, it was an away game, I watched the highlights and it was a mistake from Max. No, yeah, it's it was, not was Jake, it? it's not made a mistake. It was a mistake from Max, the player got round and put the ball in the box and a mistake from Ben and it was a goal. Swept under the rug. It was, but that's the point. Nobody <laughs> went. Those players are too young to be in the team. They're going to cost us promotion. Yeah. We just went, do you know what, we'll be fine. Because those players have done so yeah. much for us. And you spoke there about that, almost the, the gutsiness to, to throw young players in. Yeah. How, what do you have to have as a manager to have that? Is it trust from above? Is it yep. faith? I mean, you have to have faith in your players, of course. But we haven't seen this in pre previous regimes. I think it was 
was it Alex Neal or, or, or Alan Irvine that said, we don't have enough good young players at this club as we had Madison in the youth ranks, mm. as we had Jamal Max. So it is a management ethos, Yeah, it? it absolutely is. I mean, you look at Chelsea, for example, you're not trying to tell me that Christian Pulisic, who they spent 50 million quid on, is better than Callum Hudson-Odoi, mm. right? He isn't, mm. he just isn't. Mm. But ma that manager is not the kind of manager that is desperate to improve the youth players at his football club. You know, he talks about Hudson-Odoi being a great player when he's 22 or 23. And to do that, I'm not gonna throw him in at the deep end at 18. Well, that's what you need to do, throw him in at the deep end at 18. And I think it shows perhaps a lack of understanding of nurturing a player to that top level. Um, whereas Daniel absolutely understands that if you're a decent player and you're good enough, look, it doesn't happen unless the players are good enough. But if you're good enough, he will have the bravery to put you in. And it will come back on him if it's the wrong decision. But he has to be supported from above. Do you know what I mean? I think, this, I think just the, the general conversation is a little bit patronising to the young players. I think that Daniel Farker doesn't need to have the balls anymore. I don't. I think you do initially, though, don't you? Because at the start of the season, who knew? But now, it's, you know. But now it's just a non-event for yeah. me. Yeah, it I is. Mean, Max Aaron's is the first name on your team sheet. Yeah. Jamal Lewis is the second name on your team sheet. I mean, Todd had a really great spell as well. Um, I think that. I think it just shows that a little bit of faith from all managers, Premier League as well. Mm. You look at the Hudson Doy case, for example. I think that. You, after a while, you don't need the balls because you know that they're more than capable enough. Mm. It's just the, the right environment, the right nurturing, and they will go and deliver for you. 100%. Yeah. Isn't it Look great, at Madison, though? for example. Because this doesn't happen, you know, unless everything's right. Unless everything's yeah. right at a club. You can kill young it's players, the fine really. margins. Yeah. If you throw them in it doesn't, and it's not right support or mm -hmm. whatever. So I guess the... It says so much about the club. I guess the follow-up question to this is then, how do we keep them? <laughs> Get promoted. Do you yeah. think we could, if we were to get promoted, we'd be able to keep hold of them? For a season. If. And then how do you keep them after that? You don't. Right. You let them go. So then you have to find more. And we will. Well, do you, think, do you yeah. have the faith? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, again, I think this all comes down to a plan. In previous regimes, we get promoted to the Premier League and you go, right, we need five or six new players. And we go and overspend on players who aren't necessarily good enough and we pay too much money for them because we're trying to convince them to come to Norwich. Mm. Well, who needs no convincing to come to Norwich? Players that are already here. So I think that we do need a little, a little bit of investment in the squad for promotion to the Premier League. Which mm. will happen. Which will happen. Money. Yep. I think we'll buy. I think we'll buy three or four players. That's all. For a combined outlay of 20, 30 million quid. So you're talking really? as we're yeah. going to get promoted. Seven or eight, eight million. Seven or eight million pounds on a few players. I think we. Are, oh, I definitely think we're getting promoted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, everything, everything points towards that. Okay. There's no, there's, you can only base your life on the facts in front of you. And I say this That's to people, <laughs> but when they worry about stuff, you know, yeah. like I have a few mates that are worriers, and I say, look, go on the evidence. That's all, everything's going to yeah. be fine. Facts don't care about feelings. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is so, turning into some kind of like a little therapy session. Yeah, I like that. So I think that we, and I, I think again, I think we're smart enough to understand that the players that have got us up deserve the chance to keep us up. Fulham would have been better off spending no money at all. Yeah. Well, they're in a big... Because the players that are there don't feel loved because you've gone and spent 100 million quid. Mm. The players that came in aren't good enough and haven't had enough of an impact. And then where are you left? 100 million pounds down and back Huge in the championship. Gamble. And we've seen that with Norwich before, haven't Correct. we? Correct. What the club, I believe, should and will do is spend most of that money on investing in the under-18s at the club. Yeah. That is where we will see the benefit of promotion in the youth academy, in the youth setup. But for that to be successful, the board 
have got to ignore the noise that comes with that because we will mm. not spend crazy money, right? Mm. And the fans have to accept that we will do our best. It's not inevitable, but it's probably likely that we're going to get relegated after we get promoted this season. And I'm only speaking, I'm not, like, I'm not trying to ruin it, I'm just being totally That's my honest. thinking face. Right? Because we're not going to blow everything to try and stay in the Premier League because that is a nonsense because we've done it before and it doesn't work. What we will do is say, if we invest in our youth academy and invest in our young players, this promotion is going to be worth a hell of a lot more than 150 million quid. Mm. Yeah. That's what, and that's actually what I'm most excited about and why I'm so desperate, beyond desperate for us to go up this year. Because it's worth a similar amount of money to the amount it's been worth previously to Norwich getting promoted, right? But I think it's worth three or four times what it's ever been worth for us to get promoted. Because we've not been promoted with this structure in place. With Ben Kensel, with Zoe Ward, with Stuart Webber, with Daniel Farker. I think the 100 million quid is effectively worth 400 million quid for our football club. Because we're going up with a plan. A really fantastic plan. And a real focus on youth. Okay, let's um, let's talk about Stuart Webber. You've been on days out with him. You've spoken. Yeah. Him. You took. How, how did that F one to, trip to Red Bull come about? Was it Red Bull? Yeah, we went to Red Bull together. It was again. It was the sort of senior management team of uh, Stuart and Ben and Zoe. Did you and suggest it? Yeah. Well, obviously Stuart's big into his Formula yeah. One, and the great thing um, I remember going to the training ground quite early on in the time that they were there, and uh, I remember one tiny thing. I walked out of the. You know where they've got the sort of the players like chill out room where yeah. they play FIFA yeah. and stuff. The uh, out, yeah, the, <laughs> the good old Anglia Windows conservatory. <laughs> walked out the doors there, in front of the training pictures. There was like litter blowing about. Right. And I said, in the world of Formula One, that just doesn't happen, because that it might be a little yogurt carton or whatever. But what does that say to everyone here? Oh, you could just leave a bit of litter lying about. Not only has someone dropped it, but no mm. one's cleared it up. Mm. And he's like, yeah, I absolutely believe in that. And Formula One is fantastic for marginal gains and the mm. absolute focus on the minutiae and making sure that everything looks and feels fantastic. Pink dressing rooms? Love that. But exactly, it's that sort of thing. It's that sort of it's thing. Like and so I knew idea. that he'd benefit from it. So we, just, we spent a day there, basically, and just spoke to Christian Horner um, and Jonathan Wheatley, who's the team manager, about what, what they do in Formula One mm. for that quest for elite Love that. Perfection. Do you think he took much from it? Yeah, I do. And I think that that's another great thing. You know, sometimes football thinks it knows everything. And how great that he thinks that we can learn from that. And actually, it was interesting because Red Bull were asking as many questions about football and about Norwich and what we do. We've both spoken to Stuart a few times. I've been yeah. blown away by his intelligence, his honesty, every time I've spoke to him. Yeah. How important is he to this football club? And as, we've, as you mentioned earlier... Delia, Daniel, Stuart, yeah. Zoe won't probably won't be here in ten years. Yeah. How do you cope with someone like that leaving when the, a plan is so wrapped around yeah. one person? Well, he's massively important, right? We all know that. Yeah. More important than Daniel? Probably. Yeah. Because Stuart is in charge of the entire ethos of the football club, and. W- that though is the very reason why we'll be okay. Okay. Because if you think about it, this is a guy who had a plan for bringing in Daniel Farker, had a plan for not sacking Daniel Farker, had a plan for working with Daniel to get those youth players in. I'm not, I'm not saying Stuart's responsible for everything here, but he's, yeah. you know, he is in charge of the sporting side of the football. Yes. So all of these things have been planned. Yeah. 
So why would he not have a plan for what happens in two or three years' time? He will have. Okay. He absolutely will have. And I think that his, what's wonderful about him is that he's not actually coming in and doing this because it's a Stuart Webber show. He gets a real thrill out of setting up football clubs to be where they should be. And I mm. bet his heart's been broken by what's happened at Huddersfield. And why has yeah. that happened? Because I think they've gone away. For, I think they've gone away from what they were and what they believed in. Uh, you know, I don't think that they... But you just said he'd create a plan for Norwich three years down the yep. So did he not do that at Huddersfield? I think he did. But the problem is people, people have to then carry out that plan, don't yeah. they? But I think that... Valid. I think that Norwich now are in a position where whichever manager comes in, they know that this is the way we are and this is how we operate and this is the way we play football and these are the kind of players that we attract and this is our wage structure and this is who we want. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same with Stuart. And I guarantee you that that football club will have a list of people probably that Stuart has been involved in creating for who succeeds him. But it will, the DNA will run so strongly through the club yeah. that it, it will of course have an impact. But if they stick to the plan that he and they are putting in place, it will be fine. It will limit the it will limit the damage basically. Ten games left to go this season. Norwich City lie top, two points ahead of Leeds, four points ahead of Sheffield United. So tight, isn't it? Why can't one of them just start losing games of football? They will. It's too stressful. They will, Jake. Look at the run-ins. And you're confident that Norwich won't be one of the teams that start losing games? Yeah, I am. Yeah, very. Um, uh, it's well publicised. I've said it over and over again so sorry for repeating myself again but as soon as you go and beat the best team in the league in their own back garden which is Leeds okay what what you know where do you possibly I mean the lift that that gave the belief that it gave the club the confidence that it gave the players yeah. and the fans by the way I just think that was a real that was a, not just a marker that was a moment mm. It was a moment in Norwich City history. You're right. And I, I firmly believe that winning against Leeds, I, I just, I, I can't see us, oh God, this is all very, very recorded. I can't see us cocking this up. Mm. I just can't. I just think when you've got so much momentum, everyone's doing their job to the best of their ability, everything's come together, the full jigsaw is in place, there's not a single missing piece. Not a single missing piece. I just, the, the only fear is of course, you know, the other teams, I, I do believe will keep going. I don't think Leeds will bottle it. I think a lot of people think and hope they will. I don't think they will. I'd like Leeds um, to go up, you know. Well, I'd prefer Leeds to go up to Sheffield, the Sheffield United, personally. I mean, but your good friend, Chris Miles, you and him have been having some back and forth <laughs> all season. Yeah. He seems confident. Yeah, well, he would be, wouldn't he? Because they, you know, they're, they're up there. They're, they're the second best team in the division. Like, we are the best team in the championship. You think that? Yeah, of course we are. And actually what's really interesting is when all this sort of stuff flies around and you two seem to attract the wrath of the Leeds fans beautifully, I've hardly seen one Leeds fan say, but you're crap. Mm. But you're no good. Why, why are you top of the league? You're shit. Because they know we're not. That's the horrible thing for all the other teams. Like We, we are the best team in the league. Yeah, We are. Why would we suddenly not be the best team in the league? You know, This is something that hasn't been going since Christmas. You know, Since sort of mid, mm. early, mid-September. We have consistently been the best team in the league. This has all come from an awful start and missing basically every penalty we've been awarded. Well, let's imagine we started the season like we've played the rest of the season and scored every penalty. We'd be home and dry by now. I mean, we lost half of our games in August. We've lost six games how many, this season. How many games, Jake, can we lose before the end of the season? So To still go up automatic? 
Does it worry you? I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm slightly bothered that the other two haven't fallen away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they've got a tough running, Jake. Tough, yeah, tough yeah, running. Yeah, and, and I, I, I know that you think that the Leeds game was a big game. moment for you. For me, the Swansea game was a big moment because we played badly mm. and we still came out of that and won. And you're right now, those lads will be like, this is unbelievable, man. Mm. We can go and smash Leeds away from home and play fantastic football and be so brave on the ball and be mm. so confident and play our game at someone else's back garden. But equally, we can have a really bad night in front of our own fans at our own ground yeah. and still win. They will sense it's happening. Does it... In previous campaigns, you look at the Hux team and you look at the Holty team and you look at the, the Alex Neal team. Yeah. All of them teams had players that had been there, seen it and done it. This team's complexion is slightly different in terms of got a, a lot of young players, a lot of teamy pookie yeah. type players. Yeah. Does that mean they're now fearless because they haven't experienced it and they, they're just going at it, kind of eyes shut, happy days? Or does it worry you in a sense that it could get too much for them? No, why, I don't see why we get too much. I think the moments where it might have got too much have come and gone. Okay. Uh -huh. I think now this is like this is like the run to home now. Mm. It's a bunch of cup finals, and and I think that what they're doing, which is really smart at the at, you know Colney and things, is they're not they're not making this feel huge for everyone. They're right. just going, let's just carry on, just let's do what we've done all season. But surely the players aren't done. They'll be seeing the media. They'll be seeing the fans. They know how big this could be. Yeah. Yeah. So does that affect you as a player? Yeah, it does. Um, but it's also what you love. Okay. You know? It's what you play football for, It's what Jack. you play football for. Michael Owen was talking this weekend, I was talking to him about the whole Liverpool thing, and he's saying, listen, we make a much bigger deal of this than the players. Really? They're just getting up and playing a game of football, and they just love playing football, and they love winning, and at the moment they're winning. Um, and also we're really good as well. So it's yeah. not like, it's not like those players are thinking, I don't know what's going on here. We're a bit crap. And for some reason, we've ended up top of the league with a few games to go. That's not the way the season's been. Mm. We've been the standout best team in the division. Um, and there's no reason why. Let's just base this on fact. There's no reason why we're suddenly going to go crap and other people are going to suddenly That's go great. That's a boring way of going that things they Jake. We're football fans. We don't like facts. We like feelings. Yeah. But, and my feeling is exactly the same. <laughs> that is my feeling. We're great. We're better than everybody else, yeah. so we're going to get promoted. That's the, that is it. It's done. It is done. I'm so pleased you're saying that rather it's than done. me, because I would have been slated for that. By who? This lot. Watching. Why? <laughs> it's done. Why are they going to Carrow Road and being fantastic every week? Because they know it's done. Interesting. Let's turn our attention to the important things in life. The Twitter <laughs> I questions. Hope it's done. <laughs> Um, Neil yeah. Harris asks Jake if Timmy Pookie was a Zook off Bamzuki which Brilliant. one would he be and why very very fast Zook that people want to buy for about 15 million quid probably uh, yeah, he'd be, do you miss Bamzuki golden days <laughs> it's one of the most Pookie worth by the way in this market though? 12 15 million quid something like that I mean if you score a lot of goals in the championship like he has you've, you've, you have a value do you like his haircut I don't um, do you think if you were <laughs> Do you think it's if, you, all right. if you were a player of that calibre, yeah. are you going to a, an Esquire or a Swagger of Jacks and just getting that, that beard slightly more on point? Yeah, the beard's not great. The beard bothers me more than the hair, Does it? actually. What but do you know what? Cello, do though? what you like, mate. But Jake, what about his goal cello? Do you rate his goal cello? Yeah, because I just think... I Do you rate it? Yeah, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on it. <laughs> it's kind of like... We're starting to question it. Why? Oh, he's scoring all these goals, but he's just... Yeah, because he's barely smiling. Yeah, because it's like it's just what he does, isn't it? Yeah. He just turns up in his sort of Scandinavian way, bang, goal, yeah. whatever. What's next? 
Where's yeah. that ball from Steeperman? Come on, I need another <laughs> one. Get me another one. Um, he's brilliant. What's your goal, Solo? If you're a Norwich player right now and you're, and you're scoring at the weekend? I'd just do the old Jeremy Goss line. Oh, hey, really? Simple? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just simple, man. Look at Alan Shearer, just arm in the air. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. That's the great thing about top goal scorers like Timo Puki. It's not a big deal. We've swayed away slightly from, I think, yep. the epicentre of this question was the Bamzuki. What was the no. best trait of a Zook? Well, being able to stay on its feet was like right. quite an achievement. <laughs> Not the kids <laughs> that turn up with these things that could move and then fall over. Everyone talks to me about Bamzuki these days. Do you know what's happened, right? Basically, obviously we made Bamzuki about sort of 2001, 2002-ish. Yeah. So that would have been 16, 17 years ago. So kids were like five or six years old then suddenly they're now in their early 20s and are on social media and I'm seeing them in the street and they're shouting, Bamzuki, <laughs> most days. Yeah. My most, the most popular question boy. I get is, what were you looking at when we, play, when we did yeah. Bamzuki? And it was a hell of a show to make. It was only about 15 minutes long, but it was like the technology was proper cutting edge in those days. Yeah. So we had a table, not dissimilar to this, like a grey table in the studio in Elm Street where we worked. And then we had a big overhead projector in the lighting rig above. So the, the, the kids would design the Zooks and bring them in. And then you'd see on the telly like a 3D image of yeah. the game happening, but we would just see a really like faint overhead projector image onto the table of what was happening. And then like 50% of the time, the overhead projector would overheat because <laughs> it was up in the lighting gantry. And it would just stop and these kids would be like, what's going on? <laughs> and then we'd have to wait an hour to do it again. I remember just kicking my heels in the dressing room for hours and hours while it was technically a Complete what was, nightmare. Was there, ever, was there ever kids that were genuinely crushed at their... their oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that part of the seriously. job, sort of almost a, a counselling session afterwards? <laughs> well, I spent a lot of time with a lot of crying children <laughs> making Bamzuki. Because a lot of... The, you know, they were intense, man. They'd spent hours yeah. making those zooks and yeah. they were absolutely certain they were going to be the greatest, you know. I think Max was saying behind camera that he made a zook that didn't Did get you? on the show. Did you make a zook? Yeah, it didn't, didn't really stand up or move. That's the problem. They weren't uh, easy to make, were they? But there are people that still make them today, that people that have got old computers and the oh, old really? original Zoot kits, mm. and they're still using the tech to... Retro's in, bring it, it back. It needs to come back, man. That's awesome. Um, Stan. You present it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that idea has is, is, is been done and, and done well. Um, which professional, ex-professional footballer does Mr Humphrey get on with the best? P.S. Keep up the great work. That's nice. Um, I tell you, I uh, got real close to Frank Lampard, actually, in his time at BT, and we've kept in touch. Right. When I went on holiday last year, we hooked up um, with him and Christine and my kids and my wife. Mm. Um, just a really solid, sound, excellent bloke. What have you made of his time at Derby? Frank Lampard's Derby. Frank Lampard's Derby, as they are only referred to us. Um, look, again, it's, it's, it's probably not been easy because it's a steep learning curve for him. But it's one of these weird things that we expect people to go into football management because they've been a player. And we go, right, can you just manage the physical and psychological attributes of those 20 blokes that are going to be your players. Oh, and also you've got like seven or eight members of staff and you need to manage those people as well. And then there's the fans and the communication and all that sort of stuff. And actually there's 20 or 30 other staff at the training ground. You, you're kind of the manager, so you need to take care of all of that as well. And also there's huge expectation because you won some Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues and you're one of our greatest English midfielders. Can you just do all that and have no blips? Because if you do, you'll get sacked. Who is that? It's one of my alarms. You won't believe what it's for. I mean, imagine your phone ringing. Is that to take some more protein powder? <laughs> That's what it is. No comment. Um, and then we expect them to not lose their job. And I think that is the thing, expectation again. You know, Frank has done a really, really good job 
at a time when Derby are not spending the money that they spent in the past. Do you, you think know? he was not lucky to get the job? But that's a big gig to get, isn't it? When you when you haven't managed before. Yeah, no, I don't think he was lucky. Um, I think that I think that people are taking chances on young managers. Mm. You know, and Do you I think, think he'll be good for a time, like Daniel. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Next question. Um, this is from Will. Hi, Chris, Jack and Jake. I do a lot of volunteering for Hello, CSF Will. Charity and it's brilliant. a brilliant foundation. My question is, what's the most rewarding thing that you've done for the CSF? Ooh. So you're obviously Good question. ambassador? Is that no, the term? more than ambassador, trustee. Ooh. Trustee. Ooh. So basically, if you're a trustee of a charity, you if it was a business, you'd be on the sort of board of directors. Okay. So you're on the board of trustees. Um, and the job of the trustees is to basically run the, run the charity. So you make all the decisions about staffing and investments and funding. You've not got enough else. on your plate already. Yeah, I have. But I just think it's so important. I'm such a firm believer yeah. that you could change people's lives through sport. And Norwich talk about being a community club. Well, the, the element of Norwich, which is a community club, is the Community Sport Foundation. Um, and we are one of the leading charities in the country linked to the football club. Mm. There are very few. There's probably a couple that are as good as and as impactful as we are. I think probably... Uh, the, the the biggest thing is the fact that we think big as a charity. So, you know, we wanted to have a run through the city centre yeah. and it's an absolute minefield of mm. confusion with the city council and everyone else to try and get it done. But we went for it and we got, we now do run Norwich. Yeah. Um, and we came up with the idea and we ran it. But the biggest thing really is, is the Nest, I think, mm. which is the new facility which we're currently fundraising for, for phase two. Um, that will help us to touch tens of thousands of lives every single year. Um, and I don't know whether you've been up there, but you should go up there. It's the good. facilities are stunning. We've got numerous football pitches. We've got huge plans for what comes next. Um, but yeah, very, very proud to be part of that and, charity. And I, I get a sense when we've spoke before and speaking now, you see a football club as being more than just what you see on the pitch on a Saturday, yep. don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, f- football clubs are about people more than anything else. And my wife doesn't come to football very often, right? Um, because we've got little kids and I'm always working at weekends and it's just, it's not our thing. Yeah. But we went, um, we went to the Nottingham Forest game on Boxing Day. Mm. She stood there, right, looking out at the lower Barclay waving the flags, you two probably in there yelling she at the away She didn't at 3-3, did she? Oh, that's why she was <laughs> suddenly happy. Um, and all the tens of thousands of people packed in there and she just stood there and she went, I can't believe that this happens like every week in my city. Yeah. That is amazing, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it actually is amazing. And there are people whose entire weeks are dominated by what happens at Norwich City. And it's so, so, so important. And that is why, for years, I've said to people, be careful what you wish for. We've had this conversation before about the ownership of the club. And there was a period where everyone was going, just sell it and bring in some foreign ownership. Spoke about it last year. There you go. And it's not the right thing for us. You know, we're a community-run club. We're owned by a fan. We're investing in our own young players. We're asking our own fans to put money into the academy and within a couple of days, five million pounds has appeared. We're at the top of the league. and We're playing beautiful football. There is genuinely not a football club in the country doing, probably in Europe, doing what we're doing. Maybe us and Ajax, right? Mm. It's not bad. Is that why you were so engrossed and still remain so engrossed with the with the Blackpool story. I've seen you giving that a lot of press, probably more yeah. than anyone else. Is it because the contrast is so stark between Norwich, the team that you grew up supporting, yeah, still supporting? Yeah, I think we're so lucky when you look at what other teams like Charlton and you know Coventry, mm. and yeah. Blackpool have been through. We are so, so lucky. But I just, 
you know, I know that I work for a TV broadcaster on Premier League football. And I know that a lot of the criticism that comes football's way is because of TV broadcasters and Premier League football and the money washing around in the game. But I just think, I honestly don't think football has ever been in a better place in this country. I don't. And the reason for that is because of the fans. And as soon as you don't put them front and centre of what you're doing, you're in a big, big load of trouble. And Norwich City still do that. Mm. And that's why we are where we're at. Chris, next question. Um, this comes in from Norwich City Updates. What's your favourite Norwich What's City that? moment of the last 10 years? Oh my God. Last 10 years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll just okay. sit back. Um, you know what? It was Russ Martin lifting the playoff trophy, which I was just in streams of tears. My missus yeah. literally slapped me for it. Um, but it Deserved. was just such a moment. It was just, it was just mental. That whole day was mental. Again, you talk about expectancy, kind of theme of this podcast. Really, we went into that like we haven't. Millsborough blooming good, mm. and they really smashed us up at their place, didn't they? I think it was it two or three nil, maybe even four nil. Four, yeah. Um, you know, and again, that day, seeing Russ lift that trophy, that's the one that I go bam straight away. And to be fair, you know, people criticise me for being mates with Russ, but another one is... And you were crying that day? Yeah, I cried, yeah. Did you cry? Did you not? How did you not cry, Jake? I don't think I cried. When you're, when you're Norwich City, win at Wembley, how can yeah. you not cry? Yeah. I'm anyway, sorry, sorry for another, not crying. Did you moment. cry? I hope you cried. I cried when uh, Redmond scored. I didn't cry when we did lifted you? the trophy. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. That's a bit of a weird one, mate. Well, you know. Also, um, Russ's goal against Liverpool felt special because it was like a real, we're not just little old Norwich, we can cause big upsets. Nice for him Um, as well. And I think another moment in the last 10 years, I mean, it's my favourite game of all time, um, even better than the one, the the win at Wembley, was winning 5-1 away at Portman Road and um, and Grant Holt laughing. Um, That is a moment for me that was just absolutely, it doesn't get better than that. Mine was probably the rev- the reverse game of that when Grant scored the hat trick at Carrow Road, mm. and that was live on the BBC, and I was Picked presenting it. Not, you? Yeah, it's not because in those days the Beeb had like the the rights yeah. to like ten championship games a season or something, and over the years of being a football presenter, when I was doing final score, it was in a period when Norwich were generally mm. on the receiving end of goals rather than scoring them. So I hated it when the producer went, "Okay, um, there's been a goal at Carrow Road, throw to the reporter." And I'm thinking. Oh, Really, uh, and then I was obviously hosting on BT Sport when Liverpool scored Adam Lalana the ninety yeah, whatever yeah, minute oh. five four defeat on yeah. our way to relegation, and he jumped and knocked Klopp's glasses. Yeah, off. those are hard things, man. Yeah. When you love a football club and you're watching them lose, um, so to be on the BBC and to see Norwich win that game, but the way that Grant Holt gave us that win, I don't know how much you you two were like nine years old or something at the time. But if you remember, he put that tackle in yeah. like in the second minute and it was like, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, 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 and then a couple of goals and it was the foul on him from Delaney that got Delaney sent off. Yeah. And I was even standing up in the studio waving Delaney off, probably with you two as well. Um, we weren't waving him off, believe me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, it was brilliant. What was yours, Jack? What's mine? Last I think mine years. was probably Wembley. It was the whole journey to get there as well. You've got to say something different though. Go on. Um, one random yeah. game that stands had some, out. For you. Had some, I think um, under Chrissy Hewton, actually, there were some there were some nice wins in that period. Beat United, beat Arsenal, oh. celebrating my dad. That mm. was nice. What about Premier League? 
first home game, Everton, Kai Kamara. Yeah. I don't think that was the first home game. Was it not? But it, okay, never I mind. Them games. Um, I kind of want to round up on yep. the whole TV fixture change thing. Yep. Norwich's game against Wigan, I think nine of our last ten games are on telly or something, which is great. Yep. But it does put fans in a slightly awkward situation with yeah. travelling. You're almost in both camps in a way. Yep. Talk us through, is that ever going to changes are going to get better for fans no i don't think so i think the thing you have to remember is that when you know particularly it's less so in the championship but certainly in yeah. the premier league i you know i understand and i'm with the fans on their frustration of travel but you have to remember the broadcasters don't decide when the games are played that is decided by the league basically we don't say we want a game to kick off at this so, BT, so how does it work because so, we, we well, so bt sport we have the right to the 5.30 Saturday evening kickoffs okay. and some Sunday lunchtime kickoffs and some midweek kickoffs. Mm. But we don't, we don't, we can't just change that kickoff to seven o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. It's a 5.30 kickoff, that's what we've bought the rights for. And you, you do have to remember that all of these amazing stadiums and these wonderful pitches and these highly paid managers and these highly paid players, they are, that is from the TV money. So but you can't have one. Choose that. No, but you can't have one without the other. Yeah. You know, the, the, mm. that's where football is at. Mm. You know, and I understand that, you know, travelling for games is not, is not easy. Uh, and it's as much as a sad indictment on the crap railway system in this country. You know, when people say to me, I can't believe that you're yeah. showing that game. The last train back from Liverpool to London on a Saturday night is at seven o'clock. I am absolutely sympathetic with that. But by the way, that's very, very shit that a country in 2019 has Agreed. a railway system like that. That's, you know, the whole host of issues here. It's not, the issue is not just the TV companies are yeah. bad and we shouldn't let them have football because, you know, a lot of the fantastic things about football and the hundreds of millions of pounds that spills down to charities like the CSF comes from the billions being pumped into our game from the TV companies. And I know that it doesn't, not, not everyone is agree, would agree with me on this, but we should be so proud of the Premier League. Mm. Like this tiny island of 60 million people, we have the best football product on the planet. You know, that other that, countries are trying to replicate. That they are trying to replicate. It gets exported for inordinate sums of money. Yeah. Every single person on every continent wants a piece of the Premier League pie. And we should be proud of it. And I we should absolutely, well. you know, I still, I also think the clubs need to do more. Right. You know, the amount of money that the clubs are making from the TV rights, yeah. it should be 10 quid to get into a game of football. Like it that. should be free if you're under 12. It that. should be free travel to away games. You know, I, I completely agree that 20 is plenty. You know, we allow, we give the clubs the opportunity yeah. to, to reward their fans by not charging them through the nose to go and watch football. And the clubs can put way more money into all of their charitable bits and pieces. That, you know, we are pumping money in and money can be a source for good. I feel like a club like Leicester may or may not have got that right. Um, even just the free beer um, every now and then and the free coach travel every now and then. I think that there needs to be, I definitely think that needs to be, there needs to be more of that, definitely. Mm. Um, I think free coach travel used to kind of be a bit of a tool if you were down the bottom of the league but actually I think it needs to be a part of the overall fan strategy for the season there's going to be free travel on this game this game and this game and because they're the furthest away and by the way Norwich City one of the furthest away Swansea again one of the furthest away but you know credit where credit's due I think I think that the club have, have done what they can this season on the funds that they've got and um, I think Jake made a comment earlier about the about how the fans 
need to drive things like the atmosphere and, and something of such. I actually think that you can't do that until the club unlocks the door. Mm. Norwich City have unlocked the door this season. Yep. Previous regime didn't unlock the door. Did not happen. Mm. If you speak to the fan groups at Norwich, they'll, they'll agree with me as well. And I think that now, like clubs like Leicester, clubs like Norwich, they've unlocked the door. Yep. Um, but and I, it has a genuine impact as well. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. But, but the people at the, at the higher end of the game are only just learning about using fans as actually a tool. Yes, fans are part of the game, but they're a massive tool. If we Hang on, guys. If we get the fans on board, driving this positive momentum will be shown as one of the best clubs. In, for example, if you look at a club like Crystal Palace, all right? Dwindling in the Premier League, season on season, kind of mid-table, kind of at the bottom. But they've done something with us. They've allowed the supporters to yeah. do what they do. And now, it's fair to and say... And by the way, at the start of the season, made the mistake of moving them all around. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, at the beginning of this season, they were sitting in different areas and they've brought yeah. them all back together now. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that the, the people learned. that run that club yep. unlock the door... Yeah. To allow that to happen, and I think that people at the higher end of the club need uh, the clubs need to learn how yeah. to do that. But fans can still do more though. Yeah, they do. But you know, if you go to a game in Poland or somewhere an hour before, the place is rocking, and it's yeah. not because the club are allowing them to do it; it's because the fans are saying, "Nana, do you know what we're coming in?" And we're going to stand on the terraces and we're going to jump up and down and we're going to make the most unbelievable noise when our players come out to mm -hmm. warm up and we are going to absolutely whistle and boo and hiss when the opposition come out. And that is what you're coming to. And in our stadium, you will know what it's like. And I love that. And the fans can definitely, I agree, the club can unlock it. But the fans can still do more. Do you think that the reason for that not happening is the corporatisation of the Premier League? No, I don't. No, I don't. Because I don't think it's only a Premier League thing. Okay. You know, fans should leave Norwich exhausted. It should be like a bloody 90-minute workout for those football fans. They should be on their feet the whole time. Right, gents. I think um, we could chat for hours, but mm. I understand that you've got a, a house that you need I've to I've got two children asleep in bed. I've got a school run happening in about seven or eight hours. Good. Hustle. Chris, always hustle. Jake, thanks so much, mate. It's been no, a pleasure. No, listen, I, I, let's catch really, up when we're really promoted. Well. Yeah. yeah, well, well Jake will be at Galton's party, right? At Morstan Hall. Oh, this is going to be good. So tell me, what's the, what's the rub on the so party? So Galton has given us a bottle of his finest champagne that he said you couldn't afford. Um, Quite right. We'll give you a right to reply on that. Um, we are allowed to open it when we get promoted, and he's opening up Morstan Hall for us all to go to. When you say us all, are you talking about you two and your girlfriends, or no, are, are other people invited? You can bring you can bring your, your wife and whoever else wants to come. Brilliant. You up for it? Like open invitation. Can I just tweet? Galton. Can I tweet, tweet the address and the time? Yeah, Oof. I think so. Galton right. be up for that. <laughs> A public. Imagine the state of the lawns at yeah. Morstan Hall after oh, no. that. No. Um, yeah, we'll round it up there. Thank you ever so much for watching. Please do hit subscribe and like and comment as well with your thoughts on Norwich City and we'll see you again very soon. In the Premier League. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>